Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Save made by Anderson. As that was a quick little shot that snuck up on the Canes netminder. Carolina now trying to get a chance and they'll score! Nito Niederreiter in game 701. Puts it home. Still got it through the blue paint. Nothing coming of that. Ajo, though, scoops up the puck. He'll exchange it with Svechnikov. Svechnikov behind the net. Thinking about a backhand. Centers it in front. They'll score! Oh, what a pass by Andrei Svechnikov. And the finish by Tavo Teravainen. Teravainen looping in. He'll put a shot through. He'll miss that. Rebound comes to Teravainen. He'll fan on it in Philadelphia. Will skate away. Trying to get an odd man rush. Lawton sends it across. Shot. Somehow saved by Anderson. Follow up. Anderson gets to that one. Oh, Patrick Brown had a golden opportunity. And Frederick Anderson saves the Canes. check. Takes the shove, but the Canes keep it in. Bear to Cole. Cole shot. Deflected in front of Beck. And they score! Vincent Trocek. The Pennsylvania native. Buries a backhander in Carolina. Goes up three. And now Philly has it as Ajo and Teravainen. Ajo and Svechnikov collided with each other. Philly in on Anderson. Sent across. Rebound. What a save by Anderson. Robbing Atkinson. Well, Anderson, the absolute president on President's Day. Wow, was that good. Pesci hanging on to the puck. They'll get it forward. It's Trocek. Trocek sending it across for Pesci. Right down Broadway. He scores! point a four-point trip through pennsylvania what a play what a goal carolina wins it four three in overtime had some he had some gap on on their d and um i knew he kind of had a time to make a play thought i had a step on their guy and he kind of just threw it over and uh yeah i knew it was in the air so um i, I had to try to bat it down and control it and um more luck than anything but uh yeah thankfully i i settled it down and just try to put it on this is the Canes Corner Podcast with host Adam Gold, presented by the Aluminum Company of North Carolina. The Canes Corner Podcast is part of the Capital Broadcasting Podcast Network. Now, here's your host, Adam Gold. Welcome to the Canes Corner Podcast. I am Adam Gold. That was almost 65 minutes of hockey. Not all of it good. In fact, not a lot of it good at all. But Carolina comes away with a 4-3 win over the Flyers in overtime. Uh, before we get to some housekeeping matters, Brett Pesci being humble, as Brett Pesci is wont to do. Not lucky. If you ever go to a Hurricanes game, and I'll get into this more later, Brett Pesci, what he had to do on that goal in overtime is something that he practices every single day. Whether it's before a game or if you go to a Hurricanes practice, you will see he and Jacob Slavin 
passing the puck to each other in the air, and they have to knock it down. It is a remarkable thing to watch. I have spent many hours watching it. So Pesci can be as humble as he wants. That is what they do. That is an elite play. I don't know if they're going to see a better goal scored by the Hurricanes this year. A lot of things to get to. Not a lot of it. (laughs) Well, we're going to have some fun. Scott Burnside is going to join us a little bit. Alec Campbell uh, getting the afternoon off. He's pulled triple duty today. Anyway. We're brought to you by the Aluminum Company of North Carolina. If it's for the exterior of your home, you can find it at the Aluminum Company of North Carolina on Hamlin Road in Durham. No place like it. Uh, Sammy Hannon's crew do a great job. Siding, roofing, windows, doors. They got it all. Free no obligation estimate at AluminumCompany.com. All right, so what do you say about a game like that? We knew going in it would be difficult because you had an emotional win in Pittsburgh where you hung on. You got it, but it was an emotional win over the Penguins. That's a that's a team you're competing with at the top of the uh, top of the Metropolitan Division, and you fly, get into Philadelphia. Oh, I don't know, probably uh, I would say mid evening, one o'clock game in Pittsburgh. By the time you fly out of Pittsburgh, it's six ish, six thirty ish. Get into Philly, get to your hotel probably by eight thirty or nine. And, you know, you got a game at three. Not like you're doing anything. Uh, But it's just, it's the end of a stretch. You played Wednesday. uh, What was it? Wednesday, Friday, Sunday, Monday. So four and six. Second stretch uh, where you played four and six games. And they were all grinders. You had the game against Florida, followed by the game against Nashville, then the trip to Pittsburgh, now in Philly. And Philly's got high-end talent that has not made anything of it this year, but it's still high-end talent. And you still have Claude Giroux, and you still have Cam Atkinson, and you still have Van Riemsdyk, and Konechny, and Provorov, and Sanheim. I mean, it's a good team. Or it's got, they have good players anyway. They're obviously not a good team. Um, And they have no idea how to win. And they have... You know, they're relying now on Martin Jones, backup goalie, although that backup goalie has been good in his career against the Hurricanes. Either way, uh, you're going into a game where they've got nothing to lose. There's a bunch of guys on that team maybe trying to impress other organizations, come trade for me. And a bunch of new guys trying to uh, make a mark in the league. And it was some of those other guys, really, that did more damage. Claude Giroux didn't do much. Cam Atkinson didn't do much. You see, you did hear Atkinson nearly score to win it, but um, those guys were, for the most part, held in check. It was the other guys that got Carolina today. Anyway, um, it was always going to be a difficult game. Talked about it before with Rod Brindamore, and I asked him if he was wor- worried, concerned about uh, not only the back-to-back, but coming down from that emotion of beating Pittsburgh having to play a team like Philadelphia with a lot of talent, nothing to lose, and a bunch of guys trying to impress. And he went, well, of course. (laughs) Um, But Carolina got through it, did enough, and got spectacular goaltending from Freddie Anderson. I mean, Freddie's the reason they won the game. End of story. Freddie's the reason they won the game. Um, They could have lost that game by a lot. Philly was better pretty much throughout the entire game. I think the only period... 
I believe that Carolina was the better team, was the second, and it was only slightly better. I thought Philly was significantly better in the first. Carolina went nearly 11 minutes before they got their first shot on goal. Then third period, I thought Philly was better in the third. I thought Philly was, I mean, it was, to me, it was an even game in the second, but the Hurricanes, I guess, had the better of the play and had a 2-1 lead. But uh, Philly was the better team in the third, and Carolina was better in overtime because they had the puck. They won that opening faceoff and then kept the puck for the first two minutes and then lost it, sort of. <laughs> they were tripped. I don't get it, man. Look, I'm, this is not a complaint about the officials podcast, but... I believe that was Claude Giroux tripping Sebastian Ajo and taking the puck and nearly winning it in overtime, but great play, great save by Freddie Anderson. Uh, There was the Jesper Faust get cross-checked by uh, Rasmus Ristolainen like three times, and finally Faust had enough, and then he got called for roughing, and then they call the cross-check on Ristolainen. They don't even call the cross-check on Ristolainen if Foss doesn't retaliate. They just don't. They just let it go. I don't get it. Anyway, whatever. It, it, it doesn't make sense. doesn't make sense to complain about it on a podcast. Uh, but uh, Hurricanes asked a lot of their blue line again after Brendan Smith played just over two minutes in Pittsburgh, leaving Carolina with just 5D, and the top three of which played... Uh, all, what, 26, 27 minutes. Let me see if I can uh, go get those uh, numbers. Slavin played uh, 27-16 yesterday. Twenty Pesci played 28-03. Shea played 25-37. That's yesterday. Today, <laughs> uh, when Tony D'Angelo leaves late in the first period and does not return, uh, Slavin played 29-01. Pesci played 27-37. Shea played 24-29. I mean, you're you're asking a ton out of those guys. And Ethan Bear played well again. Uh, look, we've talked about Ethan Bear very quickly. If Ethan if if Carolina does not add anything to their blue line, I believe they will. We'll talk to Scott Burnside about it. If Carolina does not add anything to their blue line, Ethan Bear, his best is better than Brendan Smith's best. And I also think that Ian Cole's best is better than Brendan Smith's best, but we'll just leave it right there. To me, it's a question of uh, Bear or Smith, and both players playing at their best, Bear is a better player. Not by a ton, but a better player. They, They bring different things to the table. Brendan Smith is definitely a guy that you like in your lineup for, uh, we'll just call it team toughness. But uh, Bear has more skill. Uh, either way, um, you know, we've talked about it before. I'd like to see him upgrade uh, the last defenseman uh, spot, get somebody who can play in your top four. Uh, so you have five legit top four D men. And of course, one of them, Tony D'Angelo has been battling an upper body issue for a while and is still battling it. And, I mean, who knows? He's got three days off. Carolina will not uh, play until Friday against Columbus at home. Columbus on Friday, then Edmonton on Sunday. So they get three days off. 
My guess is Carolina will practice on the ice once between now and then. No way they practice tomorrow, and I think it's possible that they won't do much on Wednesday. I mean, they'll practice Wednesday, but I think it would be very light. I wouldn't be surprised if either Wednesday or Thursday were optional. Like, some guys will be out there, but it will be uh, optional. Uh, Real quick, before we get into uh, some things about the game, Seth Jarvis was the healthy extra tonight on the back end. First time that he has not been in the lineup since getting into the lineup, uh, in a non-COVID situation anyway. Uh, So, and here's what I like about this. I don't like that Seth Jarvis is out of the lineup. But when you're making a list of players who can come out of the lineup, Jarvis is on the list. I got news for you. Martin Natchez is on the list too. And Natchez's ice time is not great. It's not been great. Remember, he also kills penalties. Played just over 14 minutes tonight. So uh, Jarvis hasn't scored. It's now, I think, well, he didn't play today. So I think it's 11 games without a goal. 11 or 12. Anyway, since he's come back in the lineup, 12 because he even because he didn't play tonight. Uh, and Natchez is the same way, have not scored. Uh, Jarvis, though, last couple of games, and same same for Marty, by the way. Marty's played okay. I don't think Marty was great today, uh, but he has played okay. Nobody was really good today. But I think it's smart to have Jarvis sit after a couple of games where he plays well. So it's not a punishment thing. It's not a, oh, you've got to light a fire under this kid's butt. No, look, it's just a rotation. you got to get guys back in the lineup. Derek Stepan makes things happen when he's in, in general. And he's a smart, he's obviously a smart veteran player, good in the face-off circle. You can use him in a lot of situations. So you can't let him sit too much. So get him back in. Jordan Martinook's playing well. Stephen Lawrence is playing well. Somebody's got to come out. Came on the right side. Seth Jarvis hadn't scored in a while. He was playing in the fourth-line role anyway. Step on steps into that spot. And I wouldn't be surprised if Jarvis came back in and Nature set out. I mean, nothing will surprise me. Nothing will surprise me. They have 13 forwards that Rod likes. The 13 forwards are all seemingly healthy. So we'll see what happens. They got three days off. We'll see... uh, We'll see what the lineup looks like when they hit the ice against Columbus on Friday. By the way, Columbus playing well. Columbus over 500 now, so uh, that is not going to be easy. And Carolina's got a little bit of a score to settle. Remember, they got punked at home on that ESPN Plus game. Uh, All right, quick quick look at the standings. We're going to go through the goals here in a second. And Scott Burnside will join us after we do the goals. Um... Carolina 35-11-4, 74 points. Pittsburgh 31-13-8, 70 points. Carolina's got two games in hand there. The Rangers are 32-13-5, 69 points. Carolina with a five-point lead. Uh, No games in hand. Carolina and New York are dead even in games played. And then Washington 28-15-9. Hurricanes with a nine-point cushion on Washington and two games in hand. Um, Tavo Teravainen has been on one. He's got a six-game point streak, two goals and six assists in that span. He had a goal today. Uh, he's got 40 points on the season in 45 games. Uh, Jordan Stahl uh, had an assist today, uh, tonight, on the actually on the game-winning goal. Uh, 
Uh, he had the secondary assist. I don't really remember when he touched the puck. I don't think he was on the ice. I have to go check that later, but I don't think he was on the ice for the goal because uh, I think Natchez had jumped on um, after Stahl, maybe Stahl gave the puck to Pesci. Uh, so Stahl gets an assist. Good for him. Uh, he has got points in five of his last seven games, uh, and in that span, he has two goals, four assists, six points, and uh, he's a, got a he's a plus four in that stretch. So he's been playing, but you know what? He's just been playing well, pretty much uh, all year long. Uh, I made a uh, I put an over under on Twitter when we realized that Tony D'Angelo wasn't going to play. Uh, going into the third period, I combined Pesci, Slavin, and uh, Shea. Combined time on ice in the third period would be 26 and a half minutes. And I set the over-under there. Uh, actually, it came the under hit. It was just 26-11. Pesci played 10-19 of the third. Slavin, 7-58 of the third. Shea, 7-54 of the third. But we went to overtime. And uh, the over hit because of overtime. Pesci from the start of the third period till it was over, 12-19. Slavin, 9-20. Shea, 9-24. They combined for 31 minutes and three seconds in the last 25, almost 25 game minutes. Uh, but that's all right. No, those are, uh, those are your horses. Those are the guys you ride uh, when you get right down to it. And that's what good teams do. All right, let's get to the goals. We start off in the first period, nothing, bupkis. And thankfully, that was the case because Carolina did not make the trip. They left their legs and skates in Pittsburgh. It was 11 minutes before Carolina got a shot on net. That wasn't even that big a threat. I'm not even sure it was on goal. It might have been. I think it probably was. Um, And Carolina was lucky to get out of the period, 0-0. Lucky for the uh, for the period, uh, Philadelphia out attempted, outshot eleven to two, outscoring chance nine one, and high danger grade A chances. Carolina didn't have any. Philadelphia had four. Thanks to Freddie Anderson for keeping it level. Thank you, Freddie. We owe you. Second period. This was Carolina's best period. I'm not sure it was a great period. But I think Carolina had the better of the play for the most part. But it was kind of close. Anyway, I don't know what took them so long. 23 seconds in, they make it 1-0. Save made by Anderson. As that was a quick little shot that snuck up on the Canes netminder. Carolina now trying to get a chance and they'll score! Nito Niederreiter in game 701. Puts it home. So here's how this whole thing happens. Uh, Philadelphia wins the faceoff, gets a chance. Uh, Anderson makes the save. Slavin uh, over to the, if you're looking from the goal mouth out, on the left side of the goal, uh, Slavin, sort of in the corner, uh, gets the puck and does his patented, well, I don't know if he has a patent on it, uh, aerial flip. And Jesper Faust uh, kind of gathers the puck at the blue line just kind of shovels it deep with the backhand, uh, whips it around uh, pretty hard, but it caroms off the end boards and bounces through Travis Sanheim and Jordan Stahl. I don't know if Jordan Stahl left it alone on purpose. 
and Nino Niederreiter was at the goal mouth, uh, and it's his 15th of the season, makes it one nothing Carolina. This is significant. This is what I said. I don't know what took so long. 24 seconds in. I, I think I said 23 seconds before. 24 seconds officially. And in the last game in Pittsburgh, they scored nine seconds into the second and nine seconds into the third. It's an NHL record for quick goals to start back-to-back periods. I don't know if it's really a record, like who's got the record for that, but uh, it's the fastest it's ever been done. It's one of those records that we just kind of laugh at. Anyway, one nothing Carolina. Uh, and by the way, before we continue, that line, stall, Nino on the left, Foss on the right, it's been Carolina's best line for like a month. A month. It was their best line today. Second best line today was probably Code Kaniemi, Stepan, and Martinuk. But the um, the stall line has just been absolutely dynamite. Anyway, the league la- the lead lasted a good thirty five seconds. Uh, Jerry Mayhew uh, counters with the goal. Justin Braun shot from the point, handcuffed Anderson. A rebound he probably wants back. Mayhew uh, got the puck at the side of the goal. Really, just flipped it out in front. Uh, but it goes off Aho and in, so it's 1-1. Again, uh, two goals in under a minute, one for Carolina, one for Philadelphia. It's 1-1. Uh, then we go midway through the second period. Uh, Carolina gets the puck with a head of steam. Defense leads to offense. Carolina makes good play. The top line on the ice make a good play in their own end. Sebastian Aho comes out with speed. He drops it for Svechnikov, who skates around behind the goal, and then a backhand pass across to Tavo Teravainen, who sort of whiffed it, but it didn't matter. Still got it through the blue paint. Nothing coming of that. Aho, though, scoops up the puck. He'll exchange it with Svechnikov. Svechnikov behind the net. Thinking about a backhand. Centers it in front. They'll score! Oh, what a pass by Andrei Svechnikov in the finish! By Tavo Teravainen. Yeah, T- Tavo, uh, he will he would laugh about that because he missed basically missed it. Uh, but it goes off Nick Sealer and in, and Carolina has the two one lead again. The period ends. We go to the dressing room. That was the first only period Carolina had sort of an advantage, more shot attempts, uh, slight advantage in shots, uh, an advantage in in generic chances, good scoring chances, but not. Uh, great A's because Philly had more of those, 6-4. All of these numbers according to naturalstatrick.com. Uh, and then we go to the third period. Uh, and Carolina's got a 2-1 lead, and you know they're just not playing well. They played better in the second. You're trying to continue it, but Philadelphia carried the play in the third. Uh, and former Hurricane Patrick Brown draws Philly even. Uh, rookie Isaac Ratcliffe won the puck down low. Uh, Stepan and Shea kind of both ch- started chasing him behind the net. Uh, Shea continued. Stepan realized you don't need two of us chasing him behind the goal. So we stepped back, but he lost Patrick Brown to the side of the net. Rebound uh, comes right to Brown. He shovels it in, uh, and it's 2-2, uh, 5-19 into the period. Uh, about two minutes later, Vincent Trocek cashes in on the heaviest shift of the game. Trocek takes the shove, but the Canes keep it in. Bear to Cole. Cole shot, deflected in front of the back, and they score! Vincent Trocek, the Pennsylvania native, 
buries a backhander, and Carolina goes up 3-2. to two. In my opinion, the person who made the play and created the goal was Stephen Lawrence. Hounded the puck behind the net, up the wall, more than once, twice, maybe three times. Kept the play alive. Trocek eventually gets the puck back out to Cole. He takes the shot. Natchez deflects it in front. Trocek's side of the goal uh, backhands it in. Uh, so Carolina has a 3-2 lead. Uh, and, you know, they were, I guess, playing a little bit better. Uh, but with just under five minutes left, Oscar Lindblom, who's a great story, by the way. He's a kid who uh, survived cancer uh, to come back up. Uh, very talented player, but he's not the same now as he was then. Anyway, this was the mistake that bothered me the most in the game because it was more of a mental mistake than anything else. Carolina's trying to get the puck out of the zone, and I think it was Ajo that flipped the puck up, and I forget who it was for for Philadelphia. They knocked it down with a high stick, and it falls right to the feet of Andre. I'm like, oh, cool. All the time in the world, if Philly touches the puck, it's a face-off outside the zone, which that's okay. Andre picked up the puck, and he tried to pass it to Brady Shea. But he passed the puck back into the zone, and it was a bad pass. So now you've given possession away. You didn't have to do anything. You could have stood there and stared at the puck until Philadelphia touched it because they knocked it down with the high stick. Puck given away. Canes kind of needed a whistle anyway. And I don't know how long uh, it took. 30 seconds, 40 seconds. Carolina couldn't get the puck out. Ultimately, uh, Sanheim took a shot. Connect, Travis Konechny stopped it, wheeled. Then he shot it. Lindblom was on the doorstep. Uh, he was providing a little bit of a screen for Anderson, and he slipped it under him. Uh, it's 3-3. That was a frustrating goal. Wish you could have heard me in my living room. Anyway, um, it's now 3-3. We are headed to overtime, and that was another good period for Philadelphia, better period than Carolina could produce. And then in overtime, I mean, I just got to play. This is just one of many overtime saves for Anderson uh, because I think he had like three of them. And now Philly has it as Ajo and Teravainen. Ajo and Svechnikov collided with each other. Philly in. Set across, rebound, what a save by Anderson, robbing Atkinson. Anderson, the absolute precedent on President's Day. Wow, was that good. And he robbed Atkinson there. He got Giroux after Giroux tripped uh, Ajo and stole the puck. Freddie Anderson was just phenomenal today. He was my first star. Uh, I actually gave the star, the other two stars, to the uh, the two players who combined on the goal. Uh, and are you interested in the goal? You should be. Pesci hanging on to the puck. They'll get it forward. It's Trocek. Trocek sending it across for Pesci. Right down Broadway. He scores! Game-winning goal for Brett Pesci. And the Hurricanes with 18 seconds left in overtime. Get the extra point. A four-point trip through Pennsylvania. What a play. What a goal. Carolina wins it 4-3 in overtime. It was tremendous. I made a tremendous goal. First of all, Trocek enters the zone with speed and then realizes that there's two flyers back and he's got nowhere to go. So he just stops and sort of drifts back uh, with his, you know, with his 
facing the play, and Pesci jumps in, and Trocek has to uh, essentially elevate the puck, saucer pass, and the pass was perfect. Like, Tom Brady can't throw a better pass than Vincent Trocek threw. I mean, just enough elevation, just enough, as they say, sauce. Pesci hits it out of the air, knocks it down out of the air. I don't know, maybe two, three inches off the ice. And it, it, he settles it right away and then goes upstairs over Martin Jones under the bar. Uh, and that's the game winner at, 14, at 442 of overtime. I can't tell you how good a goal that is. If you didn't see it, go look at the highlight. And it's even hard to tell on the highlight. There's only one of the angles really does it justice. But man, was it a great, a great gather by Pesci. Uh, and I said this at the very beginning, he and Slavin work on that every single practice. They stand uh, they at one, you know, the width of the ice, you know, a couple of feet from the wall on either side, and they just fling the puck at each other and bat it down out of the air. And all of that work, that matters. That matters. And Pesci knocked it down out of the air, goes under the bar, sauce, gather, shelf, and we're out of there. Scott Burnside, you, you read him at hurricanes.com. You also uh, check him out at Daily Faceoff. He's everywhere. Uh, he's <laughs> kind enough to uh, give me his phone number a long time ago. All right, let's. Scott, what do we watch? What did we see today on President's Day in the city of brotherly love? <laughs> well, I guess, you know, I mean, it, it, I'm always curious about these kinds of games um, because it you know, comes 27 hours or whatever. The time elapsed from the end of the game in Pittsburgh on uh, Sunday afternoon to this game uh, unexpected on President's Day in Philly. Um, you know that, you know, the fatigue's going to be an issue. And I think there's always a question about the emotional letdown after, you know, basically a battle for first place in the Metropolitan Division against Pittsburgh. And you're playing a Philly team that, you know, is many ways, uh, you know, playing out the string. All the talk in Philly is what's going to happen with Claude Drew, the trade deadline. Um, you know, it's a team. It's a, it's a team that has a lot of questions um, to to ask and to have answered uh, in the off season because they're not very good. And so I, I guess I wasn't all that surprised by seeing a game that, you know, three times the Canes have a, a one goal lead and you wonder if that's when they're going to break it open. And each time the Flyers managed to come back, took a, took advantage of, uh, you know, a couple of miscues and a little carelessness with the puck, certainly on the, uh, on the third goal, which yeah. made it three, three late in the third. Um, but again, you know, it's, you know, maybe it's a cliche, Adam, but to me, the, the good teams, the elite teams, they find, they find a way to win games that, when they're not at their best in two days in a row. Now they've had to play a shorter defenseman with uh, Tony D'Angelo going out early. I think he played six minutes and change uh, against the flyers. Brendan Smith, of course, going down um, against Pittsburgh. Uh, it's nice that the schedule allows them a bit of a break. Then the hurricanes don't play again until Friday night at home against Columbus, but um, it, it'll give uh, Rod Brunemore and the coaching staff and Don Woodhull the, and the management team, a chance to assess the you know the state of the injuries to both those uh, um, important defenders and and see what happens 
um, you know, in the, in the ensuing three or four days, but you know, some adversity playing a long time um, <clears throat> with five defensemen, two days in a row. And then, of course, Ian Cole gets in a scrap in the third period. So now you're down to four defensemen. Happy birthday to Ian Cole, by the way. But, um, you know, I, I, I think given all of those factors, um, the fact that you come out of, uh, come out of uh, the Pennsylvania trip with the two wins in 24 hours or whatever the number is and, you know, add that to, uh, to a win over Nashville. Um, I think that's pretty darn good, uh, pretty gar- darn good uh, stretch for the Carolina Hurricanes. Yeah, I mean, since the All-Star break, they played eight games. These are all, well, I shouldn't say they're all, you know, re- well, they I guess they all are rescheduled. Uh, the Pittsburgh game was pulled from the end of the season uh, to give them, I guess, to create an opportunity for the Penguins and Columbus to make up a game that was canceled by the pandemic. Uh, so the the all these eight games, I mean, we were supposed to be celebrating Finland's gold medal with <laughs> NHL players instead of That's right. uh, whoever played for Finland. Uh, but, you know, they came out of that. They play in Toronto. They play okay. I didn't think they were great. I thought that was kind of a uh, a game that was there to be won or lost, and they managed to get a point out of it. Then they go to Ottawa and stink for 30 minutes. I didn't even... Uh, I didn't even want to take anything out of the next 30 because they were so bad for the first 30. I didn't think they just, we didn't deserve to praise their, uh, their final 30 minutes. They didn't get anything out of that. Then they go to Boston and play great. Um, And I know that they didn't have Bergeron and Marshawn in that game, but Carolina's played really well against Boston all three times. Uh, As I like to use a soccer term on aggregate, they're 16 and one uh, against, uh, against the Bruins this year. Um, You know, they the, go to Minnesota, two bad passes early in the third. They're down three nothing, and they come back and they probably could have tied that game easily or even won it. Uh, but anyway, the uh, the stretch this these last three games played well against Nashville. They've had late game issues though. Do you yeah. make do you make anything of it, uh, or is it you know look these teams? I mean Minnesota's good, Pittsburgh's <laughs> great. And um, honestly, Philadelphia has some high-level talent, and Carolina clearly didn't bring their legs with them. Yeah, I, you know, I mean, I think it's always concerning if you, you know, you can't, you know, you'd like to close out games emphatically, but you know, the long season, maybe it's not possible, right? And you right. think about that Nashville game, score a couple goals with uh, the goalie pulled, and you know, little, you know, sure, there's some nerves there, right? And you know, there's, it's a game against Florida that you, you know, you let get away when they score two goals in less than a minute to tie and then win in overtime. So. Um, against a very, very good Florida team. So those are, yeah, are, are they worrisome or are those the kinds of lessons that you learn as an elite team down the second half of this season? Um, you know, I continue to, you know, I, I look at the number of penalties that the team takes and their penalty differential. And, um, you know, to me, that's, uh, that's worrisome. Um, even though the penalty kill has been so, so good and it was excellent again, uh, in this game against Philadelphia. Um, you know, I mean, those are things that you hope are there lessons to be learned and are there things that you can do to prevent those things from happening? Or is that just the way the NHL is, right? I mean, I know the, uh, being in Vegas at All-Star and I, Gary Bettman produced a stat during his, um, State of the Union address, the, the number of games with, lead changes or where teams have come from down two goals or three goals to change the course of game. It, it just happens, right? You can't, 
And I'm not suggesting the Canes do this necessarily because I think they are a team that tries not to, you know, sort of lock things down, not to try and play passively to prevent or to protect leads. I don't think that's the way Rod Brindamore's yeah. team plays. But but they do. You know, this is just I, maybe this is just part of the you know the dynamic of the NHL game now is that teams because it's so wide open and so fast um, that even if you do try and you know adopt a defensive posture that that you are likely going to give up some chances and some goals so uh, you know i don't i don't think it's if it's a red flag it's a very very tiny one i would say yeah first of all i I think the first thing you said there is probably the most important is that look it's a long season i mean this the dynamics of the season you're going to have lulls in all sorts of areas uh the hurricanes uh have gone into power play funks uh, they've given up short hit, not short handed. Well, they have given up some short handed goals, but they've given up power play goals, best penalty kill in the sport. Uh, there was a game, a couple, I forget, forget, uh, who did, uh, but they gave up two power play goals. Uh, so we're not suddenly complaining about the penalty kill at that point. Like it's just, it's a long season and you're going to have peaks and valleys. Uh, I want to talk about somebody who's, uh, I, I don't know if he's had a Renaissance this year. Uh, but the last couple of years have not been great for Freddie Anderson in Toronto. He was the first star. He's probably all three stars today, to be perfectly honest. Um, and, and I know during the broadcast, they were talking about Vezina Trophy. I, I don't like to even think about the individual honors. You know, that'll all take care of itself. We still have 30 games to go, 32 games to go. Um, yeah. But what do you make of what Freddie has done? I mean, not only today, because he was tremendous today, but uh, really all year. Well, it, it's funny. I was on a uh, podcast with uh, with my old friend John Chan and Bob McCallan uh, earlier today, and we were talking about <clears throat> we we're talking about te- you know the how difficult it is. I was making this point. I'm not sure anyone agreed with me, but it, <laughs> you know, as we approach the trade deadline on March 21st, and you know, you look at what teams may be doing and all those kinds of things. And and, and my point was, it's it, it's hard for goaltenders to make a transition, especially if they've been in one place for a period of time, to transition to another team um, in the off-season, let alone at the trade deadline. And I said, to me, the one glaring um, you know, example where that isn't the case is what Frederick Anderson has done um, in Carolina. And, of course, you know, going back to winning his first eight starts, and it's just been such a seamless transition. And, and to me, he, he embodies – not just, you know, statistically what you want from your goaltender and his numbers are t- you know, near the top of the league and all those meaningful goaltending stats. Um, but it's the composure and you mentioned it today. I just, you know, when they didn't have their legs and there were some breakdowns and they had to kill off with the three or four penalties again today, every moment, all over time, two or three glorious chances. He just, there's, oh, there's a complete calmness about him that I think permeates the lineup and it allows the team to ride out those moments where, you know, they play the style they play. These things are going to happen because you, you, you know, defense are always jumping up. They're pinching They're They're pushing the play offensively. Sometimes that can bite you, right? You get a bad bounce or block shot um, and you get the odd man rush. And, And Frederick Anderson just has been so consistently calm and not looking rattled. Some goaltenders, you know, there's an emotional element to their game and, some, you know, it's almost like 
you know, you feel the tension on the ice when the defense breaks down and you don't see any of that with Frederick Anderson. Then, you know, it's, it's just going to be so fascinating once we get to the playoffs. And as you mentioned, 32 games, that's a lot of time to go. Um, He wasn't healthy at the end in Toronto. You know, it's a team that hasn't won a playoff series since before the lockout. So long ago that I was actually covering the team when they won a playoff series. That's how long ago it was. And, you know, that. And so that's you know, like that's going to be part of the storyline yep. in in Raleigh when when we get to that point. But oh my goodness, he has just been it has been really remarkable for me what he has done. You know, coming to a new um, set of surroundings, a new system, and new coaches, and all those kinds of things, new teammates. Um, I, I think it's been a remarkable story. You know, what's what's interesting is that goaltending in the Hurricanes, first of all, they've been looking for a number one goaltender for a long time. Uh, we all know this. They tried the Scott Darling experiment, uh, and Darling couldn't beat out, you know, a Cam Ward who just was basically done, you know, and yeah. I love Cam. And, uh, I mean, I have a fairly good relationship with him, uh, but his body just never recovered from all the wear and tear. I mean, he was, uh, it was pretty much no tread left on the, on the tires to use that cliche. Uh, and Scott Darling still couldn't keep him out of off, out of the crease because Scott couldn't he couldn't stop pucks. Uh, and I had been told by more than one person uh, when the Hurricanes signed Darling that he just can't play. He, he will not be able to handle being the starter. Um, so they they turned out to be right. But either way, I mean, they go through uh, Morazic, who was very good, and McElhenney, yep. and that was a great tandem, and that carried them to the conference finals. And uh, then Morazic comes back, and then. Ned is great, and it was told to me last year, like, the Hurricane system, they're going to make goaltenders look good, but when you get to the playoffs, that's when it takes over, and that's when Carolina's goaltending really wasn't good last year. Too many too many soft goals, a lot of great saves, but too many soft goals, but Anderson has been great. Keeping him healthy is going to be important. That's where Ante Ranta comes in over the last 32 games of the season. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's not a that's not a given. And, you know, it's not a given for anyone, but certainly that has, that has always been the question about Auntie Ranta, not, is he an elite goaltender? And I think, you know, when he's been healthy, he's been very good. And the question is, can he stay healthy enough? And I couldn't agree more. I think it's going to be so critical as we, you know, you think about the 32 games and what's the optimum number for Frederick Anderson to play and to be sharp and to be ready to roll at the end of April. Um, <clears throat> but Auntie Ranch is going to have to play, you know, I, and I, you know, I don't profess to know. And I, you know, is it, you know, is he, is he going to play, um, you know, 16 of 32? Is it going to be 14? Is it going to be 18 or 20? Um, but I think the key is his availability to, to come in and to play whenever Rod Brindamore and that coaching staff decides that, that he needs to play. And my guess is it, you know, it would be at, at no, no less than maybe 50% of what is left. And I thought his performance against Pittsburgh, I was a bit surprised that they went that way. Right. I, I thought it might go Frederick Anderson yesterday, Auntie Ranta today, but, but I thought, you know, again, in hindsight, because you get the win and Auntie Ranta was very good. Yep. I mean, what a great confidence builder for him. And I think, you know, it, it is going to be really important for him to stay healthy and to be sharp and to provide those quality starts. Um, you know, certainly what we saw from him against Pittsburgh, I think that's critically important down the stretch. And, you know, I'm, I'm trying to th- go back in my mind. That's the, it's not. I think it's the second time 
that Rod has gone with Ronta in the first half of back-to-backs, which is obviously uh, surprising to a lot of people, surprising to me. But having covered now Brenda Moore and his, and he always pretends that the goalie decision is somebody else's decision. I don't, I don't believe him, but that's fine. Um, but I, I've, I've, there are two things I don't question with Rod. I don't question line combinations, and I don't question which goalie starts. I've, I've stopped doing that. I've, first of all, I've always thought, at least until this year, that it didn't matter who Carolina's goalie was; that it was all up to the players in front of them. And it, to an extent, that's probably. Th- the case with every goalie. Uh, and the other thing, line combinations. I don't think Rod really likes any line com- combination. Or, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I do want to talk about one line combination that has stayed together now for about a month. And I'm not sure that Nino Niederreiter, Jordan Stahl, and Jesper Faust, even though they don't put up gaudy numbers, I'm not sure that hasn't been their best line for a good month, maybe even more. Part of that is Stahl, but... I mean, I have a crush on Jesper Faust, and I think Nino's playing his best hockey. Yeah, no, it's I, 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 I totally agree. And and to me, they're aligned <clears throat> because you can move some of those other parts around, right? I mean, I, you know, when you think of the skill and uh, of the, the, you know, the other, you know, the, if we're going to put numbers on them, let's call them the top two lines. Um, but I, I love the identity of that fast meter writer stall line. I was so pleased to see Jordan Stall get the goal, even though he went in off a body part against okay. uh, Pittsburgh. Um, and I'm, I'm totally with you on, you know, meter writer. I mean, what an, in, you know, what is such an interesting time for him, of course, as he is uh, in a contract year. I think he's been tremendous. And I think he, I think that line is going to be, let's assume, you know, if they continue to play together, to me, that's the kind of line that is going to become so important come playoff time yep. um, because the game becomes heavier and the, you think about the opponents that the Canes may face along the path, especially in the Eastern Conference. That, is, that line is going to be important, setting tones uh, for grinding other teams down for all the things that we've seen them do over the last two or three weeks. And, and, and they are, they're a productive, important group, right? They're not just placeholders while the skill guys take a breath. And I, and I think that's, uh, that's only going to become more uh, apparent and more important uh, over the, the final 32 games of this regular season as this team, you know, tries to get itself into a position where they are, are hitting on all cylinders come playoff time. One more thing about this team, Scott Burnside, and then I want to ask you about uh, what you might think they need. Uh, And as we're recording this after the Canes beat the Flyers 4-3, we have four weeks until the trade deadline. Uh, Andrei Svechnikov, I think, has had a great year. And he was having, I thought he was playing really well even before he started this scoring binge. He's got, I believe, 27 points in his last 21 games. Um, And he's over a point a game on the year. But for a while, man, he just... He wasn't scoring, and then all of a sudden it clicked. I think it was the, uh, maybe it was the New Year's Day comeback over Columbus where he got to. Um, But to me, that contract he signed in the offseason was going to go one of two ways. It was either going to be a nice contract or it was going to be a bargain at 7.75 per. Right now, I mean, we have a long way to go, but right now it looks very bargainish to me. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I think that's very true. And he is. I, I think the the guys in the broadcast mentioned it today. You know, feels like he's been 
around, you know, if not forever, then, you know, halfway to forever. And he's still, he's still a young man, he's still right. a boy, 21 years old. And, you know, I think about the, you know, the pass he made on the, the Terra goal that gave him a two, one lead. And it's just, it's all of, it's all of what he does. And it's, it's the maturity in the decisions that he's making and that it's not just, you know, taking guys one on one and trying to get the shot. And like he, his arsenal continues to grow every day. And if teams, you know, if they're just defending the one-on-one and the shot, um, then they're, then they open, you know, they, they allow him to make the kinds of plays we've seen in the last couple of days where he's setting up teammates for, for beautiful goals. And I think, yeah, I, I think he's really grown into an elite player and, you know, someone who's going to, you know, where the arc should continue to go up and up. And I, I know he's worked to try and, you know, cut down on the, on the penalties and those kinds of things. Um, I still love that he plays with a little, you know, he's to be successful. And I think for him to be the best player for this team, he still needs to have that edge. And mm-hmm. I think they're probably willing to put up with, the odd penalty now and again, because you don't want him to become more passive. You don't want him to be thinking about those things. Um, but I do think that's another part of his game that's become much more mature. He's so much better at both sides of the puck now and the back checking and his uh, attention to detail on the defensive side of the puck has, in my mind, has been one of the most important parts of his um, evolution in this season. Um, and yeah, I don't know that there are enough words to describe how important he is to this team. Um, and, and what they hope to accomplish. Yeah, I mean, you've got Spetch is 21. Aho, I think, is 24. He just had his sixth. He's already passed 20 goals, sixth uh, every year in the NHL. He's going to get to 30, 35, I don't know, maybe 40, because he goes through these goal-scoring uh, droughts and then binges, uh, and he's about due for another binge. So, uh, look, they... They have a really good young team. Tavo Teravainen's like the old guy, and he's twenty-seven or something. Yeah. Uh, so they've got, and and I also think we're seeing uh, when given the opportunity in a higher role. Yes, Perry Kokaniemi has been a very effective player. Uh, so especially when Trocheck left the game the other night, yeah, KK jumped up and uh, really looked like the Hurricanes didn't miss a beat uh, at all. All right, final thing for you. I appreciate it. again. I so appreciate your time. Needs. Oh, anytime. If if you were sitting on the fourth floor of PNC Arena, uh, what would you be scouring the league for, knowing the Hurricanes are going to have to launder money somewhere with $1.8 in cap space? Um, I mean, theoretically, they can't bring in anybody that makes more than eight, uh, and probably the number is seven, and you'd have to you know, get a team to, to retain half, and then you'd have to find another team to take half of that if so it's probably not going to be anything close to that but what do you what do you think they need yeah i you know i think here's my my thinking on this and it has nothing to do with you know missing you know having to play with five defensemen both um sunday and and monday and, and certainly hopefully uh smith and d'angelo's whatever injuries that force them to leave games are you know are not long-term issues but i think to me those what happened highlights what every elite team what every stanley cup finalist slash stanley cup winner 
I, I think absolutely has to have, and that's defensive depth. And um, you know, I, I thought the <clears throat> I thought the kids who uh, come up from Chicago um, earlier in the season, you know, I thought they played very well. And it's important to have a pipeline where players can come up and play, you know, two or three games when they when they, right. they're needed. But if you're thinking about the trade deadline, uh, to me, that would be the obvious area where um, Don Waddell would be looking. How do you add the depth? I don't think you – A, I think it becomes too problematic cap-wise if you're trying to, you know, you think of some of the elite defensemen who, you know, who may be on the move. I mean, John Klingberg's in a contract year with the Dallas Stars an elite puck mover and distributes the puck beautifully and walks the line on, you know, with the puck as well as anyone in the league, but um, the asking price and then, you know, to, to fit him in uh, to me, it may be more a depth piece or a, a couple of depth pieces. And I, I just look at what Tampa did and going back to back Stanley cups. And you look at some of the pieces he added in the back end and they weren't, you know, they had Kevin Shattenkirk who didn't bought out by the Rangers, and they had Zach Bogosian who was, you know, basically um, cast aside by a bad Buffalo Sabres team, and even a guy like Luke Shen who, you know, spent time, you know, bouncing from the AHL to the NHL, but is an NHL defender and could, could log minutes when needed. Um, I sort of imagine those kinds of moves. Um, you know, I'm not saying that a guy like Josh Manson or Hampus Lindholm or um, John Klingberg, and those are all UFAs who may or may not be on the on the marketplace before March 21. But my guess is financially and fit-wise that you'd be looking at probably sort of more filling in around the edges and, and protecting against, you know, over the course of four rounds, the ability to have, you know, not just – six or seven, but seven or eight or eight or nine NHL capable defensemen that you can call on because the chances are you're going to need them if you're going the distance. And that would be my guess. Um, that would be um, Don Waddell's focal point between now and March 21. If, uh, if they decide, because the, the, the plan for the organization in the past has always been hockey trade, hockey trade, hockey trade. The only rental was um, who was the guy they got from the Devils that didn't play <laughs> for them last year or uh, in the bubble? Sammy Votnin. Sammy Votnin didn't even play. Yep. Uh, they he did not play a regular season game. Played a couple of few games in the playoffs and was. I mean, it was hard because he had took a puck off the foot and he just never healed. Um, exactly. That that was the only rental. The Brady Shea trade was at a necessity because they were down Hamilton and Pesci, uh, yep. who who both got hurt. Uh, so. Th- and I'm not sure they would have made that trade if it if it wasn't something they had no choice but to do. Um, but if they were looking at a um, a hockey trade, somebody with term, um, what what's the cost to get Jacob Chikrin from Arizona? Or I don't even know um, you know what the deal is in Edmonton. Uh, I don't. I've never liked that roster from the start. Um, if they don't, if they're not in a playoff spot. Does Tyson Barry get moved? Yeah, it, it, Chikrin's uh, such an interesting case in Arizona. I still don't really. It, it, my sense of it is: listen, if if teams are gonna back up the the Brinks vault for Chikrin, then then Bill Armstrong, the GM in Arizona, is 
you know, will listen. That's, that's his job. And we know even he's already made another deal this week with Libushin going to, uh, uh, to Toronto. Um, but, you know, Chikrin is, he's 23. He's <laughs> under contract at 4.6 through 24, 25. Um, that's, I mean, does he fit? Does he fit? Sure. He fits anywhere. Anyway, right. I mean, right. he's, <laughs> so, but the, but to me the <clears throat> I don't know. To me, that's not a. I I I I just don't see how any team, if you know, at at the trade deadline, I don't see how any contending team can send out the assets that Arizona will demand. Right. To to bring him in, I I maybe it happens, um, but I don't I don't see that kind of player being a deadline trade. Maybe it's a draft. Um, trade uh, when all 31 other teams can get involved in that kind of discussion. But um, certainly he's a fine young player. Um, and, uh, you know, honestly, for me, as soon as Arizona trades him, then they immediately are looking to replace him with an exactly the same player. So I don't quite get the, the motivation to do something like that. But, you know, uh, my guess is that Don Window would have that kind of conversation with Bill Armstrong. But uh, my guess is it would be more something a little bit downscale in terms of profile and in terms of cost, in terms of the assets going out the door. Yeah. We, we may, I don't know. Maybe we saw that player today. Justin Braun is somebody that has been mentioned. Uh, that would be a, an interesting piece for the, you know, the third pair, you know, or even an extra defenseman, somebody who can give them some insurance down the stretch. He's certainly not a young guy, but uh, he also wouldn't, he, he, he fits the budget is uh, what we'll say about uh, Justin Braun. Scott Burnside, uh, I appreciate your time. Follow him on Twitter at OvertimeScottB. Thank you so much. We'll talk again soon. Yeah, look forward to it, Adam. Anytime. All right, time for us to get out of here. I'm Adam Gold. This is the Canes Corner Podcast. You can follow us wherever you get your podcast. We're here after every Hurricanes game. You can give us a rating and a review if you like, but all we want you to do is enjoy it uh, because we enjoy doing it for you. Sure, Alec Campbell will join us on Friday when the Canes take on the Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, until then, we're brought to you by the Aluminum Company of North Carolina. If it's for the exterior of your home, you can find it at the Aluminum Company of North Carolina on Hamlin Road in Durham. No place like it. Go check them out online, aluminumcompany.com for a free no-obligation estimate. Tell them we said hi. All right. See you. This has been the Canes Corner Podcast with Adam Gold, presented by the Aluminum Company of North Carolina. You can listen to this podcast at WRALsportsfan.com or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. 
Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.